it's very important to make the point that the white helmets who purport to be humanitarian, neutral, impartial and un unarmed have been proven, as I said, through their own video evidence, through the video evidence from the number of moderate extremists, to be very much armed and very much participating in the terrorist atrocities committed against Syrian civilians. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome, friends. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com coming to you in a conversation that's being recorded on the 5th of February 2018. And today's special guest is Vanessa Beely, who I'm sure many of you are already familiar with, if you are at all familiar with in, uh, independent media reporting on what's been happening in Syria over the last couple of years. You will have no doubt seen Vanessa's work at 21st Century Wire and MintPressNews.com and other outlets besides. So it's a great honor to have her on the program. Vanessa, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, James. It's great to, to be on with you. Excellent. Well, uh, as I imagine my viewers will already know from my fake news, of first annual fake news awards <laughs> last week, we are going to be talking today about the Guardian hit piece that was released on yourself and other independent Syria researchers at the end of last year. But before we get into that, we are facing some breaking news headlines that obviously will uh, affect the Syria narrative in the coming days and weeks. And, uh, well, I'll, we can take it from no less an authoritative source than Heretz.com. Uh, Sir Syrian civilians hit by chlorine gas attack, activists say. And, of course, the activists that are being cited here are the Syrian, so-called Syrian civil defense, a.k.a. the White Helmets, who said on Sunday night that three of its rescuers and six others were injured by chlorine gas in Serekeb, a rebel-held town less than 16 kilometers from the front line with government forces in Idlib province. So, um, Vanessa, given your experience mm. in Syria, in Idlib, what is actually happening here and what is being misreported? Well, one thing, I think that should be Tourette's.com, not Heretz.com. Um, and that should be applied to the majority of the corporate media in the West and elsewhere that's supporting um, this imperialist project inside Syria. Um, but yeah, I, I, along with the chemical weapons claims um, in Idlib and uh, actually in East Ghouta, which is another area in the eastern suburbs of Damascus that is um, occupied by terrorist entities. I mean, you know, it's it's very hard. The majority the, there, I think it's Jaish uh, al-Islam. But as far as the Syrian people are concerned, these terrorists are all the same. They all fight under the same ideological banner. And the rebranding and rebranding and rebranding them is, is a marketing ploy by the U.S. coalition to try and distance them from the more extremist um, terrorist groups such as ISIS and Nusra Front. So just to clarify that very quickly as well. Um, in Edlib, um, who's producing these chemical gas attack narratives, of course, it's the White Helmets. You mentioned the fact that they have fraudulently taken the name of the real Syria civil defense that is the true Syrian volunteer organization that was established in Syria in 1953. So decades before the White Helmets were established in Turkey by a British um, ex-military private security expert, a.k.a. mercenary. Um, that has worked in every arena or, or war theater arena um, uh, centered around the interventions of NATO member states. 
Um, so to come back to these chlorine gas attacks, let's for one second just consider the ones um, in East Ghouta, for example, that are probably the most recent and have elicited the responses from, for example, Alistair Burt in the UK, of course, demanding that Russia be held responsible um, for the Syrian government use of chemical weapons, etc. And basically, you know, as he's done previously in Iraq and in Libya, pushing pushing that envelope, that conflict envelope further and really putting us in the situation of teetering on the brink of a World War Three again. You know, fundamentally, there is a proxy war going on in Syria between the United States coalition and the axis of resistance, Iran, Russia, Syria, Hezbollah. So it's already in existence. But of course, this is now being once more escalated. Um, I was actually probably about 100 meters from the areas of East Ghouta, um, Duma, Harasta, Kabun, all the areas that are occupied by the terrorist groups in um, eastern Damascus in January this year. What I can categorically state is this is known as a military zone. So that basically means that the Syrian Arab army is present there, the Russian um, forces are there, but also the Russian humanitarian, the field hospitals, the military hospitals, etc. Um, Syrian Arab Red Crescent and a number of civil society NGOs who are effectively helping civilians leave those occupied areas via negotiations with the terrorist groups. They are providing medical care for any civilians that they can help to evacuate from under that terrorist occupation. So just as we saw in East Aleppo, the Syrian government and its allies are working to provide humanitarian corridors for civilians to leave those occupied areas safely. But what that means is that all those areas have vast numbers of Syrian army personnel, Russian army personnel, um, medics, medical society personnel, including the real Syria civil defense, civilians. It is absurd and grotesque to even consider that the Syrian government, if it had chemical weapons, would be using them in an area where it would affect all of those um, players in this in this conflict. Right. That's number one. Number two, um, as I said, I was about 100 meters at one point from the Ghouta front lines. And I can tell you that's a vast residential area. None of those residents have ever been affected by any of these alleged chemical weapon attacks. A second thing to consider, chlorine gas is one of the most ineffectual weapons that any entity could use in a military combat. That was proven in World War II, um, and it, it's a consistent claim against these chemical weapon attack claims. Because if the Syrian government were really intent on wiping out civilian areas, it would carpet bomb them, just as the United States did in Fallujah, in Mosul and in Raqqa. But it's not doing that. What it's doing is providing it's it's running a campaign which actually ensures the highest number of civilians are extricated from these terrorist held areas. Um, and the same will go in Idlib. It will be exactly the same situation. Who is producing these chemical weapon attack reports? Of course, it's the NATO member state multimillion financed white helmet um, organization. Exactly right. And I, so I think this gives us a good window into the overall story of what's been reported or misreported in Syria for the last several years and the way that these stories get propagated. It is sourced time and time again to 
groups like the White Helmets or the Syrian Observatory and Human Rights, which of course is a one-man operation in England, and all of these these types of organizations, and all of these reports are passed on uncritically and without qu- qu- question, just uh, the mainstream media acts as stenographers for these groups mm-hmm. um, without questioning these narratives at all or doing any actual on-the-ground reporting. So let's come to your actual on-the-ground reporting. You have been to Syria several times now for the last couple of years. Tell us how you got involved in this, why you're interested in what's happening in Syria, and how you uh, started to make contacts and connections over there. Well, I mean, basically, um, I suppose uh, I started out as an activist going to Gaza in 2012. I, throughout my life, I'd been connected to the Middle East through my father, who was British ambassador to a number of number of Middle Eastern countries, particularly during the Suez crisis. He worked very closely with President Nasser in um, Egypt in the late 50s and the late 60s. Um, he was an advocate of the Palestinian cause all his life, um, the Middle East advisor to Ernest Bevan. So I sort of, I grew up in an environment where the Middle East was very prevalent. Um, but I actually went to Gaza in 2012, which is where I met a very good friend and colleague, um, Ava Bartlett, um, during the Israeli bombing in 2012. I then went back to Gaza and was intending to live there in 2013, but for various health reasons, I actually had to come back to Europe. But at that time, um, Israel actually bombed Damascus. And I remember having a conversation with a Hamas spokesperson at that time who shocked me by saying to me, well, it was perfectly normal for Israel to do that because Damascus had crossed Israel's red line by supplying weapons to Hezbollah. Now, that had obvious repercussions for me because I was shocked to hear a Hamas representative describing Damascus as crossing an Israeli red line when, of course, Damascus, Hezbollah, Iran had been steadfast allies of the Palestinian cause um, for for decades. Um, So that sort of piqued my interest. Then I got involved in the Syria Solidarity Movement, um, which was set up by Ava Bartlett. Um, I didn't get an opportunity to go to Syria in for the first time until July 2016 when I went in with the U.S. Peace Council for a week of um, meetings with officials, um, opposition representatives, unarmed opposition representatives, civil society members, etc. So it was a real fact-finding mission for me. Um, Then I decided to return about a week after that as an independent journalist, spent um, a month there. And then basically, yes, you're right, I've consistently been going back around every two or three months, including um, during the liberation of East Aleppo in 2016, when I was there for much of the liberation and the sort of celebrations that came after. All right, well, let's let's jump past the reporting to get to this mm. smear hit piece that was launched uh, against yourself and, as I say, um, other other people like Eva Bartlett by The Guardian, um, specifically by Olivia Solon, a technology writer based in San Francisco who, to the best of my knowledge, has never set foot in Syria, but has uh, certainly talked to a lot of people who are on one side of this story and uh, and presented that, again, quite uncritically in the smear piece against yourself and, and others, uh, in which you were labeled anti-imperialist activists, as if that is some sort of 
derogatory thing to say. Uh, of course, being lunch, uh, lumped in there with conspiracy theorist and troll and uh, unwitting dupe or witting dupe of the Russians, of course. So it's uh, it's um, it has to be read to be understood in its full context, and perhaps unsurprisingly. Uh, it does not deal with any of the actual facts about the White Helmets. It simply uh, regurgitates the uh, the official line and then spends the rest of the piece basically saying that anyone who questions them must be in the, uh, the, in the pocket of Putin. So um, let's talk a little bit about this article. When you first found out it was be in the works, uh, how you were contacted by uh, Olivia Salon, and then the actual uh, the article itself. Oh, well, I mean, Olivia Solon contacted myself and Ava Bartlett pretty much at the same time. And she sent a list um, from memory of about 20 questions, all of which were basically asking myself and Ava to defend um, our position and the evidence that we'd uh, collated over, you know, a couple of years. For me, certainly three years or now four years investigating the White Helmet organization. Um, both um, remotely and inside Syria on the ground. Um, so it was it was very much an attempt to put us in a position of having to defend ourselves. And I think both of us quite rightly took the position that look, we're not here to defend ourselves. You should be defending the evidence against this organization instead of providing a blanket promotional um, report on this organization, which is what The Guardian has specifically done, of course, um, since the creation of this organization. You know, in 2016, it lobbied effectively for the White Helmets to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And when it was inundated with negative comment, it simply closed comments. So, you know, The Guardian, which itself is embedded um, in the corporate neocolonialist um, structure in the UK. I mean, it's it's owned um, by Scott Trust Limited. It gets the majority of its uh, ad revenue from HSBC that is not only the Swiss banking part of HSBC that has been um, basically uh, prosecuted for fraud, but also has been also found guilty um, of fraud against um, consumers in the UK. So, you know, this is already a sort of an interesting background to The Guardian um, and hardly surprising then, of course, that they're supporting the, the sort of humanitarian, in inverted commas, war concept that is always the driver behind particularly UK foreign office um, policy in the region. Um, so Solon approached us with these questions. We both went back and basically said we have no interest in defending ourselves. And then, of course, she went out to um, fundamentally all of those entities, organizations and individuals who support, fund, finance and do the PR for the White Helmets, such as the Syria campaign, which incidentally, two days later, produced a 46-page report in which, again, I'm described as the queen of disinformation. And even in that 46 pages, they do not address one element of the evidence against the White Helmets, which, by the way, does not come from Russia. Russia only got involved in um, exposing the White Helmets late into 2016. They had done nothing to 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 um, demonstrate the roots and origins of this organization prior to that point. And the majority of the evidence against the White Helmets comes from the White Helmets themselves, from their own videos, their own videos of them participating in the executions of both civilians and Syrian Arab army prisoners of war. 
for which crimes they are sacked, by the way. You know, none of their sponsors at that point are held accountable for their crimes against the Syrian people and against the Syrian army that is defending the Syrian people and that comes from the Syrian people. So to say that this entire um, mountain of evidence is Russian produced is not only ridiculous, it's slanderous, it's libelous. I mean, I think James Sardry, um, the one of the directors of the Syria campaign, which is the major PR agency for the White Helmet, seed funded by Eamon Asfari, a UK resident, a Syrian oil magnate, who's also funded the Tory party in the UK and is also under investigation from the Syria's fraud squad and has been sanctioned in Italy. Um, James Sardry is the one who makes the extraordinary comment that I secretly and clandestinely um, sneaked documents to the Russians to be presented at the UNSC. This is insane. That was a conference that was given in April 2017, I think, by the European Study um, of Extremism. Um, and at that conference, pretty much everyone was invited, including Syrian opposition who were present, including um, activists in the UK who had been demonstrating outside the event. They were actually given the opportunity to come in and speak for 10 minutes. They refused. The Russian embassy was one of the invitees. And they basically asked me if they could use the publicly available paper that I presented um, at the UN. Of course, my answer is yes. But, you know, to suggest that I had secretly squirreled these documents to Russian officials is just one of the most insane new Cold War narrative um, lies that could have been presented in this article. So, you well, know, once again, the uh, biggest conspiracy <laughs> theories come from the, you know, so-called mainstream yeah. reputable journalists, don't they? And, uh, yeah. I mean, in a way, I suppose you should be flattered because, uh, I mean, <laughs> it says here that Beely, uh, the British blogger, is among the most influential disseminators of content about the White Helmet. So congratulations. You've certainly left your mark in the info space, as yeah. as demonstrated apparently by this Graphica image that they uh, have adorning the article, which is just a total <laughs> hodgepodge of nonsense, just blue and green and yellow blobs on yeah. a screen. Somehow this is... I don't know, can, this is uh, evidence this of is, Russian this is, conspiracy yeah, this or is, something. This is it's, the scientific evidence against those that are working to actually expose the imperialist project. It's, like, it's almost self-parodying. It's so silly. And mm. it, it really, I mean, I, I can't imagine what level of the public they are aiming this propaganda at <laughs> because it truly does not address any of the substance of anything you've thought uh, talked about over the years with regards to the White Helmet. So I, I suppose it's targeting people who just have absolutely no idea what's going on and are only getting their news from the guardian um which thankfully is a smaller and smaller percentage of the public every day but um let's so let's correct that uh, that problem and address some of the actual evidence about the white helmets tell us about this group how it was formed where and when and what it actually does um, well, the group was formed in 2013. As I've already said, it was created by a British um, ex-military uh, mercenary with ties to private security companies um, in Dubai, amongst others. Um, so it was not established in Syria, as it's claimed. It was established in Turkey and in Jordan and then infiltrated um, into Syria to basically, in my opinion, 
um, act as a human shield for the terrorist organisations that are, of course, being armed and financed and promoted by the same NATO member states, Gulf states, um, Israel, and of course, incubated in Turkey. So in the same way, so the, the, the parallels between the two organisations are very clear. It's just that one is presented as a humanitarian first response organisation, and the other, of course, are terrorists under various um, monikers. Um, now, this organization um, has only ever been told areas and particularly in the front lines. So now, for example, you're seeing them presenting um, the narrative from Idlib. Idlib is now the new front line, as is the eastern suburbs of Damascus, just as previously it was East Aleppo, of course. And during the um, four and a half years of terrorist uh, Nusra Front led occupation of East Aleppo. It was the White Helmets and a number of other embedded so-called citizen journalists and activists who, of course, were producing the anti-Syrian narrative from those areas. It's very important to make the point that the White Helmets, who purport to be humanitarian, neutral, impartial and un unarmed, have been proven, as I said, through their own video evidence, through the video evidence from the number of moderate extremists, to be very much armed and very much participating in the terrorist atrocities committed against Syrian civilians, particularly in East Aleppo, which is the area I focused on because obviously it's liberated. So you can now go in um, and inspect the abandoned white helmet centers that are always next door or sharing buildings with Nusra Front. And according to testimony from Syrian civilians, again, very important, you know, the Guardian is effectively asphyxiating those Syrian voices who accuse the White Helmets of crimes against Syrian civilians in East Aleppo, crimes of torture and imprisonment, of the kidnapping of children, um, and a number of other crimes that the Syrian civilians have given testimony um, on. And all of those accusations from Syrian people are effectively being ignored and marginalised by the corporate media in the West, led by entities such as The Guardian, Channel 4 and the BBC. Um, but there's a very good reason for that, in the sense that the two um, recent movie PR vehicles for the White Helmets, as I say it for Al-Qaeda, um, the Netflix White Helmet documentary and The Last Men in Aleppo, which is this year nominated for the Oscar in 2018, you know, another complete parody of any sort of justice. Um, the BBC Channel 4 and The Guardian, but the BBC and Channel 4 predominantly, are actually the founding partners of Doc Society, which is the multimedia organisation that is pushing, promoting, enabling and processing these movies. So, and, and The Guardian is also directly involved, by the way, because it's in partnership with the Bertha Foundation, which is an element of the Doc Society apparatus. So, you know, you have a very clear example there of all these organizations who always consistently argue for humanitarian war, whether it's in Libya, whether it's in Iraq and now in Syria, um, while ignoring, of course, the very humanitarian um, disaster that is going on in Yemen, thanks to the actions of um, their own state apparatus supplying arms and weapons to Saudi Arabia. So that somehow gets marginalized and ignored while they focus on the faux humanitarian 
um, reasons for war inside Syria. So um, the White Helmets are, are basically, in that sense, um, a multi-million financed propaganda organization predominantly. But for me now, the most important role they play, as I said, is as almost as human shields for the terrorist entities. Because as soon as um, the battles hot up to, to cleanse specific areas like we're now seeing in Idlib of those terrorist groups, the white helmets come to the fore producing the narratives that will effectively protect those terrorist entities and prolong the suffering of the Syrian people. So their role is to lobby for war, produce the propaganda to, to, to basically um, protect the terrorist military proxies on the ground in Syria waging um, this war against the Syrian people and the Syrian army and its allies. Um, but I think what is interesting, why is this organization being protected to such an extent? I think it's because um, the imperialist apparatus is defending the concept. We've already seen James Lemessurier recruiting in Brazil. We know that the White Helmets have appeared um, in Malaysia and in Venezuela and in the Philippines. So, you know, because this went through my head so many times, these are only 3,000 really criminals and thugs that have sort of emerged from the terrorist ranks or the free Syrian army moderate extremist ranks to become the white helmets in order to get paid to continue doing the same job but under a different auspice. Why are they being so heavily protected? But but I think it's more to do with the concept. It's more to do with the importance of this concept going forward. As James LeMessurier Le said very recently, who would you trust more than the fire brigade or a first response NGO. You know, there you have it. That's the key to why this group is so important. It is the perfect cover. And uh, it certainly is a template that I'm sure will be used over and over uh, in these types of situations mm. if they can get away with it. So extremely important. And you mentioned a few times the multi-millions in financing that this group has enjoyed. Mm. Where do those funds come from? Well, they predominantly come from um, the UK. The UK has put in um, the largest amount of funding, I think around 65 million that has been officially declared. But of course, recently I did an investigation into the use of the Conflict Stability and Security Fund, which is over 200 million of that. That's a 1 billion fund that comes from taxpayer contributions in the UK. Over 200 million of that um, in the last three years has been siphoned into Syria ostensibly to the Syrian opposition, but I've actually proven that it's going through a number of intermediaries such as Adam Smith International, Integrity Consulting, Mayday Rescue. Um, and through those intermediaries, it is then siphoned into what are effectively terrorist-run organizations such as the local councils in East Aleppo, which was headed up by Abdulaziz Maghrebi, who was um, a self-proclaimed member of the Abu Amara group, which was the protection for Nusra Front in East Aleppo, so even more brutal than Nusra Front. Um, and uh, then again to the Free Syrian Police, to the White Helmet. As I said, everywhere you go in the eastern districts of East Aleppo, you can see how um, the Free Syrian Police the White Helmets, Nusra Front, and a number of other terrorist entities were all next door to each other um, in a series of buildings. So they were clearly working together, cooperating together, collaborating together. And it, it's also worth noting that if 
any video footage that is produced in those areas can only be produced with the permission of Nusra Front. So that means that each and every one of these activists, including the White Helmets that was producing footage from East Aleppo, could only do so um, with the approval of Nusra Front. So it's not going to be footage that's going to be against Nusra Front. And actually, if we very quickly talk about Last Men in Aleppo, which portrays the White Helmets yet again as heroes, what is missing from this narrative in Last Men in Aleppo is any existence of any terrorists in East Aleppo, which is just extraordinary. The only criminal is the Syrian government and its allies. There is no mention of the Al-Qaeda atrocities committed against Syrian civilians. I mean, this is an extraordinary um, example of lying by omission. Extraordinary, but not unexpected. I mean, this happens in yeah. every conflict, every single <clears throat> time that terrorist proxies are being used to destabilize a government. Yeah. The terrorist proxies are the heroes, the crusaders. Osama bin Laden was the golden boy in Afghanistan back in the 80s. So it happens over and over and over and over. And as you say, every single time a humanitarian war is launched, the laser-like focus of the mainstream media on the atrocities that are being committed somehow or other tends to drift as soon as the operation is a military operation is achieved like in libya where now open slave markets are operating in libya no one cares who cares that country is yesterday's news it's already been achieved so i think we know exactly what is on the cards for syria if this intervention has its way. And uh, that's, I think, one of the reasons why this is such an important topic. Um, let's, let's talk about the Syria campaign. You mentioned this before. What is this group and what is it doing to promote the White Helmets? Well, I mean, the Syria campaign, as I mentioned, was set up with seed funding from Ayman Asfari. Ayman Asfari is um, an oil magnet based in the UK. Um, but Syria campaign is also part of the cabal that, that then goes back to Purpose um, Inc., which is a sort of Manhattan marketing agency, and then back to Avaz. And of course, Avaz, I mean, Corey Morningstar has actually done some tremendous work on this organization. And in fact, it was her who kind of set me on the track of the White Helmets because her first article um, demonstrated very clearly the, the network links between um, a vase to purpose and then to Syria campaign and then to the White Helmets. But the amount of, let's say, um, corporate imperialist and Democrat actually funding that is going into, um, by default, into this organization, Syria campaign. And Syria campaign, in my view, um, have run one of the most sort of concentrated and systematic campaigns supporting white helmets they um produced for example the aleppo is burning campaign which um you know ran for a long time just prior to um the liberation of east aleppo and again you know what we see um the sudden um hyperbole over the chemical weapon attacks now in idlib and east Ghouta, of course it's coming also hard on the heels of sochi which was largely a success thanks to um, Russian intervention there on a diplomatic basis as well. So again, you know, if we look back over the last seven years, you'll see that familiar pattern as well. Just as the Syrian army is advancing militarily, just as diplomatically Russia is advancing resolution and peace talks, you will see a, a, a spike in the propaganda, which then escalates the conflict and brings 
um, military escalation back onto the table. So, you know, that's another very familiar pattern here. But going back to Syria campaign, yes, they've been responsible for the marketing and the PR behind um, the white helmets from the very beginning. And as I said, almost immediately after the Guardian article, Syria campaign produced a 46-page report in which basically they can only conclude that I had a larger Twitter following than they did, that I was a Russian troll, um, that I had claimed that the White Helmets were a legitimate target, which I will still stand by because they are working in partnership and in collaboration with Nusra Front. Um, and uh, that basically, as I said, I was the queen of disinformation, according to Syria campaign. And the entire report was entitled Killing the Truth, which I found um, hugely um, hip- ironic, let's say. To say the least. All right. Well, uh, there's obviously so much information and so much detail that you've provided in your various reports. We can only scratch the surface of it in a conversation like this. But I hope we have at least shown some of the dots that are there to be connected um, by anyone who is actually willing to look into this information rather than simply taking the word of a technology writer in San Francisco for The Guardian about what evidence does or does not exist about the White Helmets. But for people who are interested in more detailed information about the what you've uncovered with regards to the White Helmets, what, uh, what reports uh, that you have done would you recommend and what other sources of information would you recommend? Um, well, I would always recommend, I mean, for example, I'm not actually the only one that's written about the White Helmets. I mean, there are a number of writers that, of course, were not mentioned in the Solon article, interestingly, and those include um, the, the sadly recently deceased Robert Perry, um, Gareth Porter, John Pilger was not mentioned in the Solon report. One can't help but wonder why. Philip uh, Giraldi, Scott Ritter. Um, so, you know, already that's that's a large number of very, very respected and eminent analysts who have um, exposed the white helmet narratives and propaganda. Then you have Corey Morningstar, who, as I said, I would recommend to everyone to read, um, particularly on the NGO complex and particularly on Avars. Um, Ava Bartlett, of course, I would always recommend following. Um, my own reports, my most recent ones, have been a review of The Last Man in Aleppo film, which is up at 21st Century Wire, and um, The Architects of the Humanitarian War, which is uh, Channel 4, BBC, and The Guardian, along with The White Helmets. That, again, is up at 21st Century Wire. My um, major investigation into The White Helmets uh, is available at Mint Press, and that was where I collated together all of my early evidence, both um, remote evidence and research and on the ground evidence. So that's probably one of the most comprehensive reports that I've done, sort of trying to bring it all together. But yeah, I mean, it's a vast subject and the sheer power of the machine that is driving this organization um, makes it very difficult to, to compress that information into, as you said, like 20 minutes conversation. So thank you. I hope we've done as much as possible in that time. Well, I certainly hope so too. And we will direct people to your work at Mint Press and at 21st Century Wire. We'll, uh, I'll link that in the show notes for people who are interested in getting into this in more detail. And I know that you're going to be continuing to pursue these subjects uh, in your future reporting. So I will direct people towards that. And uh, I'm sure we will have the chance to talk again. So Vanessa Bealy, thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank you. The Corbett Report is brought to you by you. Your support makes The Corbett Report possible. 
Sign up for the subscriber newsletter or purchase a DVD at corbettreport.com support.